The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, good morning. <clears throat> I want to, uh, not property related, I want to make an announcement. So I know, I wish it was about the property, but uh, we're getting there, I hope. Anyway, um, I want to make a fun announcement. About a month ago, as a board, we were meeting uh, and, and talking about decisions and what's going on. And one of the things that we were aware of was an email from our network that said, hey, would you guys consider increasing your mission support to every one of your missionaries by 2%? Because just like any of us, cost of living goes up and stuff. And, and it's something that um, like we haven't done in a long time. And so uh, they just were mentioning it. And, and so we're like, okay, we need to take a look at that. On top of that, um, Aaron, who oversees kind of how our missions goes, Pastor Aaron, um, he had three new missionaries that were asking for support saying, hey, we don't support them at all but could we support them? And then finally, similarly connected to the work of missions, although it's stateside, is a brand new church plant in Oceanside, California from a friend of ours that, that some of you maybe know, some of you don't, but Jeff Moores, he grew up around here, was part of a great church around here and, and ended up going down to California for a while. And it felt like we were talking about a year ago about him planting a church and where it would be and stuff. And I was excited for him, but they finally made a decision they're planting in Oceanside. So their request was, would you be willing to support us? Well, as a board, we, we met and had this conversation. And honestly, just in, in all of us were like, why why don't, we, why don't we do it all? And so um, I, I love that. Yeah, I, I, I want to make that announcement. First of all, um, all the missionaries we support, we decide to increase support, not just by 2%, but by 25% across the board for all of them. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, Here's a, here's a slide right now of all the missionaries we support all over the globe. So from Europe to Africa to Asia, uh, South America, Central America, even stateside. Um, some of them aren't named. You might notice that because they're in sensitive countries. So we don't publish their information with specifics, but that's a picture there. Uh, and then here's the three brand new missionaries. The first one is right here. All right, there, the Stovers over Mozambique. The next one, um, and uh, yeah, some of you might, might know them, Brooke Miller uh, in Honduras. And then finally, um, if you check that out, the Johnsons over in Belgium. So we took on those missionaries. And then finally, like I said, Jeff Moores, and here's just a picture of them praying um, over the Moores family as they make this launch from the church they were a part of to a brand new church. And I just saw two days ago that they got a facility. That this miracle happened and got a facility. And so pretty exciting stuff. Um, I want to be transparent with you. Part of this conversation is, you know what? We're just going to believe God that through all of us, there's just a spirit of generosity. And some of you that maybe don't give to missions that you would consider, hey, what would it look like every month if I carved out five bucks or 10 bucks or 50 or 20 bucks and gave that to missions? Because the full amount increase that we're doing per month is over $1,000 a month. But we're like, you know what? We're just believing that God's going to put it on every one of our hearts. And if you're not part of giving to missions, that you can do that. The catch would be that if you're going to give towards missions specifically, make sure that you designate it, whether it's on the giving envelope and you can put, you know, whatever amount towards, you know, general, whatever, tithes, uh, offerings, um, but write missions. Or if you're giving online at grove.church on the give link, you can designate it there as well. So we're well aware. But anyway, um, those are great days. I'm excited. Believing God's going to do some great things and uh, it's fun. I want to pray for that. And then we're going to jump into the message. God, I am grateful that we have operated as a generous church. We talk about leading the way with irrational generosity, whether it's how we invest in our own community in our partnerships with, Lord, the Pregnancy Resource Center or the Marysville Food Bank or the Gospel Mission or out of various ways, Father, or it's, or it's missions. I'm grateful for what we get to do together, that obviously it takes resources. And I just pray for every one of us to walk in that spirit of generosity that we believe, even as it says in our code, we will lead the way with irrational generosity. We believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. So thank you for that. Pray that we would walk in your obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Um, we're in a very short series called In This Together. Last week was part one. Today is part two. If you got a Bible, we'll be in John chapter 21, the gospel of John chapter 21. So you can turn there if you got a smartphone. Of course, it will be <clears throat> on the screen. Once I committed to following Jesus way back when in, in uh, 1992, um, I, I took to making a transition in the music I listened to. And I really needed that because what I listened to wasn't very great music. And so I began to listen to what I have called truth-filled music. There's Christian music, there's worship music, whatever. But I began to really listen to that entirely. And, and there was a band I became aware of that some of you might remember called Jeff Moore in the Distance. Anybody remember them at all? Yeah, some of us do. Um, not very many of us, but... Um, I listened to Jeff Moore in the distance was one of the bands and listened to Christian radio, but um, there was a song I remember that to me paves the way for this message. But I thought instead of me just reading the lyrics, I thought, you know what? I want to show you 50 seconds of the music video to the song Friend Like You. And again, this is way back in the early 90s. So here's the deal. Some of you dressed like this way back then, and some of you dress like this now. So it all comes around. But here's 50 seconds of absolute bliss. You're welcome. are so welcome for that gift I just gave you. And I realize that may not help you enjoy truth-filled music. Nevertheless, if you, if you heard the lyrics at all, um, trying to see through all the outfits, um, if you heard the lyrics at all, it's talking about this whole idea, the, the, the song, the basic idea, is that really God created us for community and that friendship matters. And I want to jump into that a little bit because when you look at this world that we live in and, and grow up in, you see that when you're in preschool or kindergarten or first or second grade on the playground and you go out and make a best friend during recess, you could see that we're wired for community. That as you and I, you know, grow up and, and fall in love and, and get married, we can realize that one of the ideas of marriage is that marriage is about community. That as your family develops and you begin to have kids and, and, and enjoy those seasons of life, family is very much about being wired for community. And the fact is, when you think about those friends that, that you have and those people that you might call best friends or childhood friends or friendships you enjoy today, friendship is about community. We exist in community for all kinds of reasons. And last week, we talked a little bit about how connection feeds commitment. That when we have relational buy-in, the simple fact is we're committed to someone on a whole nother level. But there's more to community than simply relational buy-in, although that's super important. Having the right kind of community is absolutely essential to our emotional and spiritual and physical health. And so as we look at John 21, I want to encourage you that this is very much about somebody who refuses to give up on, on some other individuals. It says this in John chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana 
in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter uh, told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, um, and, and, uh, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. God, today, I pray you would help us understand the value of this text as well as what comes after, because I think it matters in a huge way, God, to all of us. This road that we walk, this journey that we take, that for many of us that would say, I'm a follower of Christ, I've given my life to faith in Jesus, I am a Christian, that Lord, this conversation matters in a big way. In Jesus' name, amen. So it says afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. The reason it says afterward is to help us understand at the very end of what John had to say about this whole story of Jesus, that Jesus had already appeared to them. Jesus had already you know, uh, been, been to the cross, died, was buried, and rose from the dead. Like I said, he appeared after that twice to the disciples. And so that's where we're at when we pick up this story. It says he appeared again by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. And what's saying is in verse two, seven of the 11 remaining disciples were out fishing. Does anybody remember where the disciples were when Jesus called them? It's an easy answer. They were out fishing. Now, the reason I think that matters in a big way is because here they are and they've gone through this last meal together and and Jesus says, you're all going to desert me. And Peter says, hey, Even if all these clowns do, I'm not going to. That's the NIV Nick-inspired version because they didn't say clowns, but that's okay. (laughs) Peter literally says, hey, listen, if all of them do, I'm not going to. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, sweet Pete, little Petey, here's the problem. (laughs) Again, just taking a little bit of liberty. Um, but, But listen, Jesus turns to Peter and literally says, in fact, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, "Uh uh-uh. Well, as the story continues, you see that Jesus is led away. He's crucified. Peter's in the shadows, by the way. It's not just Peter, but all the disciples have scattered. We just have the specifics about Peter because Peter, in fact, then does deny Jesus three times. Hey, you look like you're one of those guys that traveled with him. No, I'm not. Hey, you're, you're one of his disciples. That's not me. Wait a second. You were with him in the garden. I was not. And all of a sudden, the rooster crows and Peter feels like garbage. So here's Peter, and what is he doing? He's fishing. Why do I think that's a big deal? Because here's what I know. In the 27 years and four months I've been following Jesus, there are times where I find myself going back to who I used to be. Anybody else ever guilty of it, or is it just me? That we find ourselves thinking the old patterns, going through the old motions, doing the things we used to do, and walking in dejection, walking in shame, walking in frustration, going, why in the world... If I say I love Jesus, because here you and I are, and we sing songs like miracle worker, prong, all that stuff, and we love it, and it's good, and God, I want that, and then this week, you're going to be cussing at your coworkers. And then this week, you're going to be yelling at your kids, telling them they should live underneath your house, because you're going to be in traffic, cutting people off, getting into road rage, and you're hoping you don't make the papers, because you're going to be doing something this week that is not waymaker, miracle worker, from, you know, right? Here's the thing. If we can just be honest for a few minutes, we go back at times to who we used to be. 
And then we find ourselves so frustrated by it, but here's what I love. Words like this, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful. And some of you in this room need to hear this because you're going, you don't know what I was doing yesterday. You don't know where I was last week when I skipped church. You you, you don't know what's going on in my life and why I've been gone for a few months, but I'm here today. You have no idea. And what I'm here to tell you is this. Jesus, just like for Peter and the other disciples, he refuses to give up on you. And to me, that's always good news because there are days when I feel like garbage. There are days where I know I've done the wrong thing. There are days where I know, you know what? I am not who I want to be and I don't want to sing miracle worker anymore. Just being honest. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples, unnamed, go out fishing. They went out, got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, he's, uh, they, uh, they answered. He said, throw your net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net of fish because of the large number. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Why would all of a sudden John say that? Because this is not the first time something like this happened. If you go back to when Peter was called and John and James, in Luke chapter 5, let me read this. Completely different story. Listen to the similarities. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him, uh, listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, We've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you said so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the number of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. That's the beginning of the disciples being called right out of a boat to follow Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, from now on, you will catch men. Let me ask you a simple question. In John 21, what is Peter fishing for? I thought Jesus said he was going to catch men. Like I said, I know it's, it's redundant, but Peter has gone back to what he used to know because he's dejected, because he feels like an utter failure, but Jesus refuses to let him live in the shame of his mistakes. 
Then the disciple, verse 7, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Why is Peter doing this? Because Peter realizes, he's, remember, he's already seen Jesus twice resurrected, alive since he's been resurrected. And so, so here's Peter, and he he's, he's doesn't quite understand everything. He, he still feels like, well, there's Jesus, but we haven't had any conversations, and I denied him, so I'm glad he appeared here and he's alive. That's amazing, but I, I'm an idiot. So he's out in the boat. And all of a sudden, he realizes that maybe this is his moment. Maybe this is his time to actually talk with Jesus that he denied three times. Maybe if he can get to shore before these other guys. If I leave him in the boat with a net full of fish, I don't know what he's thinking. But he jumps in the water and wants to make his way to Jesus. It says that they came behind in the boat towing the fish for they weren't far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, their nets were not torn. said the same thing in the other story. So many fish, but the nets didn't tear. Something they would have expected with that many fish in a net. Jesus, things are clicking in Peter's head. Wait a minute. I remember three years ago, here we are. Here's Jesus. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I find that peculiar. But but as I was thinking about it, walking through my notes in, in, in this message and reading this text, I was thinking, you know what though? If you knew somebody in your family had died, and a few days later, there they are, you'd be like, Personally, I remember my sister years ago died, and it was sudden, it was crazy, and just a, a weird story, but um, there are times in my life, even up to today, where randomly I will see somebody that looks just like her, and there's moments where you're like, wait a minute, that, is that, could that, what? And you're just not even clicking, like thinking straight about it, and I don't know if you've ever had that before, but I've had it happen multiple times in the years since she passed away. These guys are sitting there, and, and like I said, they've already seen Jesus alive a couple of times, and, and, and Jesus is refusing to give up on them, but there they are, and it says none of them dared ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And now I love in verse 15, and this is what I want to take a few moments on. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these Stop for a second and understand. They're gathered around. There's a fire. There's some fish, some bread. They're hanging out along the shore. But Peter and Jesus aren't sitting with the disciples. Peter and Jesus are, in fact, somehow taking a journey away from that direction. They're on their own together. And this is the moment Peter really, really needs. And this is so important for all of us. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. 
Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And we read all this and go, what's with the repetition? Like, can't we just get it over with? Like, you love me? I love you. We're cool. But there's this dialogue that happens that, first of all, I want you to understand, this is grace on display. Jesus is desperately wanting Peter to be reinstated to his call to fish for men. Because he's not. He's fishing for fish. So they have this conversation, and it happens three times, because how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Right, and so one theologian put it this way, in his gracious forgiveness, Jesus gave Peter the chance to wipe out the memory of the threefold denial by a threefold declaration of love. That's powerful. But let me go back and walk you through this a little bit slower. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? but he doesn't use the same word. See, one of the things that's a little frustrating about English that, that you get better when you look at this in, in Greek in the original language it was written in is this word for love. Jesus, in effect, and I'm gonna do my best to explain this, Jesus, in effect, the first time says, Peter, do you deeply and sacrificially love me? And Peter's response is not that word. It's the word agape. Peter's response is the word phileo, which means this. So Jesus says, Peter, do you deeply and sacrificially love me? And Peter's response is, Jesus, I, I really, really, I'm really, I like you a lot. And I don't say that to be funny. I say it because I'm trying to paint this picture. Jesus again says, Peter, do you deeply and sacrificially love me? Peter's like, Lord, you, you, you know that I'm, you know that I'm into you. You know that I'm committed. I want to be committed. I'm committed to you. He goes back and uses that word phileo again. The catch is this, and pay attention. The third time that Jesus says, do you love me? Jesus uses the word phileo. Hey, Jesus, or hey, Peter, are we good? Like, you, Are we good? You, you committed? Are we good? And, and, and I, I love this because I really believe this is Jesus getting on Peter's level. Remember this in the context of Jesus in the, in the room with the disciples at the last meal they eat together. And, and Jesus says, just so you know, you're all going to fall away. I'm not. Peter, you're going to, no, no, no. Even if they all do, I'm not going to. Peter, you're going to do it three times. And that in effect is exactly what happened. It's important to remember that because when Jesus says, Peter, you and me together, first time, one-on-one, -on -one, I want to talk to you about something. Do you deeply and sacrificially love me the way that you were so bold to say before, do you love me? And Peter's not so bold to just outright say it because he understands he's already failed miserably. And he feels dejected and he's probably learned a few things. So instead, he's like, Lord, I want to say that I love you like that, but I can't say because I'm trying to be honest and I don't want to be a liar anymore. So God, I really, really want to be connected to you. We've got a friendship. And I love how Jesus gets on his level because honestly, I believe that's what Jesus does with you and me. 
That there are times where, like I said, we say, you know, I, I love you, Lord. You're a way maker. I'm surrendering. We lift our hands and surrender. God, I worship you. And then we go out in our week and do whatever happens, and we'd be ashamed to put it on the screen right now. And yet Jesus comes right to us and gets on our level and says, I refuse to give up on you, and I want you to know that while you are faithless, I am faithful. I'm here. And that's that amazing grace that you and I need. See, there are people in this room that you had dreams and visions and thoughts of what you could be and what God wanted to do with you, ways that he wanted to use you and mold you and shape you and encourage you and give you a purpose and, 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 and a vision for what could be with your life. And, and you, you had that passion and dream and, and moment in your life and time went on and the world beat it out of you. And now you're going through the motions and now you're hoping that God can somehow accept you maybe barely into heaven if you're somehow good enough possibly. Well, I mean, it's like the prodigal son. He comes back like, I'll just be one of the hired workers. I've blown it. And what does God do in that story? Gets out the coat, gets out the ring, says, you're my son. And I think it's such a big deal for you and for me and for Peter to realize that God refuses to give up on us. And that those dreams and visions and thoughts and hopes and passions that you've had at some point in the past, God is going, don't, don't let that be dead just because you've become jaded. Let me work in you. Let, let, let me let the work of my Holy Spirit soften up the hardness. Rekindle what used to be. Help you see what could be because you were created with a purpose. See, when it comes down to the full picture I want you to notice, and I got to wrap this up. <clears throat> in, in John 21, it goes through the, the do you love me more than these, and, 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 and it's a big deal. But then I want you to notice, it says, um, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now listen to this. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But you, when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate what kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Notice those words, okay? Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. So again, they've walked a ways a little bit here. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. As quick as I can, let me say it this way. A lot of times in our lives, we, we look at this relationship with, with Jesus that we have, and yes, it's very much a personal relationship. But even as we talk about in this Together series, we, we exist in community. Understand this, that even though we exist in community, what some people are called to is not what you're called to. The lessons you're learning aren't the same lessons that somebody else is learning. The things that you're hearing today aren't necessarily the things that stick out to the person next to you. 
Because God is doing a work that that he wants you to understand, you follow me. It's not that we aren't built up and edified by one another, but the idea is this is Peter's moment to understand the great grace of God for his call to do what he is supposed to do. Peter, in church history, was crucified upside down. When he was killed for his faith in in Jesus after preaching the word and seeing incredible things happen, establishing a a great movement. It it says that that he was uh, tortured and then then crucified. And when they went to crucify him, he said, turn me over. I'm not worthy to die like Jesus. John, on the other hand, who Jesus or Peter said, hey, what about him? Was boiled almost to death, but he lived. And even though he lived, he was exiled to the island of Patmos for the rest of his days, where he ended up dying of old age. But he also had an incredible dream that he wrote down, and we have it as the last book in the scriptures called Revelation. But this whole idea of of, of what goes on at the very end here, I think is important. That that we do need to understand in, in, in this picture, like Jesus wouldn't give up on him. And I'm pretty convinced that wherever you go to eat lunch today or dinner, that maybe you're going to go by a lakeside and have some fish, possibly, probably not. (laughs) But I don't think that Jesus is going to be there in a robe talking to you about, you know, do you love me more than these? What I do know is that you and I need people in our lives that when our head isn't on straight, that when God has said, you go do this and you're instead going to do that, you need people that are willing to say, what are you doing? Don't go that way. Over my dead body, I'm here for you. That when you and I can't think straight, and trust me, every one of us will have our moments where we can't think straight. We need somebody to help keep our head on straight from getting away with whatever, from doing things that lead to destruction, to excusing habits and patterns and and ways that shouldn't be there. We need those kind of people to care for us when we don't know what to do with ourselves. So let me ask you, who's going to get you when you're in a funk or when you failed? And who are you going after under the same circumstances? Because this whole picture of in this together is this, being connected means being cared for. Now, that's not a a blank check for everybody to care for you, but you're not caring for them. It goes both ways. But this, this picture needs to be understood that if you and I exist the way God designed us to exist in community, we need people that are gonna be there for us when when we aren't looking at the world the way we ought to be. We need to be there for others when they're not looking at the world the way they ought to. There's a a short couple of verses in Ecclesiastes that many of us have heard before. It's an Old Testament poetic book. can be hard to understand, but this is pretty easy to understand. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. That's a pretty stark verse. Pity the one. When we're off track or we're stuck in a rut or we're deceived by our own failure, just like Peter was, we need someone. And God designed us in community to have that. Paul 
was a persecutor of the church until he became a follower of Christ. And he was so persecuted that he almost died many times. One of the accounts is, is, is if you're taking notes, um, Acts 14, verses 19 through 20. Listen to this. Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium, uh, they came and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Look at verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Did, did you notice the first part of verse 20? But after the disciples had gathered around, I don't know if they gathered around to pray for him. It doesn't say if they, they gathered around to, to encourage him. I don't think they gathered around thinking, well, I think he's dead. Nope, I guess he's not. You know, I, they, did they gather around to, to help you know, bandage wounds and reset bones? We don't know why. I just think it's pretty incredible that it specifically says after they had gathered around him, he went back to what he was called to do. This is the same guy who wrote to the church at Corinth, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Why do I read all that? Well, let me put that in a couple of words. You receive comfort so you can give comfort. And that's existing in community. Let me ask the question again, and then I'm going to pray and we're done. Who shows up for you when you're not thinking straight, when you're dejected by your own mess, when you don't have things correct and, and, and you don't know how to get things on right? Who shows up for you and who do you show up for? God, today, I'm so grateful when we look at the picture of Peter and Jesus, that, that God, you just don't give up. That Lord, you continue to reach out and, and, and express your grace and love. Not, not as a, I love Jesus, but I can do whatever I want to do. Not at all. Because the truth is love, God causes us to not live in, in our own selfishness, but live the way we're supposed to live. And I pray for all of us to see that just like Jesus won't give up on Peter, that Lord, you don't give up on us either. And part of not giving up on anyone in this room is helping us realize we need people in our lives that are just a phone call or a text away, that are just a drive away, that Lord, no matter what time of the day or night, who are those people? And what does it look like to live in this together so we can sharpen one another and challenge one of them, become what you desire us to be? I pray for your spirit to create that tension in all of our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.